All right. Welcome back to Super High Sci-Fi. After a very long hiatus, which I'll now explain the reason that caused that. Uh, late last year, Justin was arrested for murdering an underage Thai prostitute during a podcast retreat to Thailand. As a result, we have spent a great deal of time and money over the past year freeing our friend from the brutal justice system in Thailand. Now that Justin is back in the United States, having escaped justice for the brutal murder of a child prostitute, we're back to work. <laughs> so that's pretty much what happened. But now we're back, and we're back at just the right time, because Grant and I are here today to talk about something that we are... I don't know, I can't really speak to what you are, but I am at this point just kind of excited to see the train fly off the bridge and crash into the canyon. Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. I really don't have anything positive to say about this based on reactions to the trailer. It's quite disappointing. I think it's back to square one, J.J. Abrams' cookie-cutter movie formula. And I think everybody who has an intelligent perspective on this probably has already weighed in because the trailer's been out for a while. So I'm going to take that as permission to just unleash uh, my innermost thoughts about how much I dislike this and just go from there. Uh, Stream of id consciousness. Be careful. That's what led to the death of a Thai prostitute. I know Justin can be extraordinarily brutal when... He gets out of control, but I think everybody knows that. We have to keep him away from the new Star Wars movie, otherwise there will be more deaths. There'll be a Joker-style embargo on the movie theaters. (laughs) Justin's behind the incel threat. All right, hey, it's solved, everybody. Anyway, your your thoughts on... uh, the masterpiece that will be the ninth Star Wars movie. There's well, there's been two trailers that came out, correct? There was this, the teaser yeah. trailer where Ray does like the backflip over the TIE fighter in the middle of the desert. And then there was the longer trailer where they showcased a few previews of like the new planets that they are putting out with the movie, which don't really seem that new but they're putting them out anyway and making sure that you know about them and also teasing that they go back to Endor or something where the ruins of the second Death Star are. So the first trailer, I remember watching it just a little while ago and I just really didn't have any reaction to it because it's just not interesting at all. Uh, Star Wars used to be interesting it's no longer interesting the trailer felt like it was like perfect pitch corporate product teaser uh, all it made it hit all the right beats that you would think would coalesce into an interesting thing but they just ended up looking like a laundry list of things that disney marketing people told them to include in the trailer to excite uh slavering fanboys It does seem like somebody made the trailer in a computer or like a computer program made it. Yeah, I just, the problem with this is I just keep coming back to it. It seems like the 
the problem is the story fundamentally and they keep glossing over the story problems by having these really high concept uh, locations and visuals and all this other stuff and that kind of all comes through in this trailer like oh it looks great and there's a lot of action going on but I can already tell it's you know I'm not interested in the story part of that's because the last two movies have had a very uninteresting story and this one's just following up on that. In fact, it looks like this one is just going to pretend that The Last Jedi never happened. But I'm not sure if that's going to be an improvement because we're getting the return to the Force Awakens story, which is basically the Star original Star Wars story. Yeah, but this time Rey and Kylo fight on top of a ship that's flying. And there's lightsabers. Yeah, I just... And the emperor's I just don't back. care. I don't. Yeah, that's the second trailer that they're they're so they lack confidence so much <laughs> in their own product that they have to go back to the well <laughs> once again and pull out a character that everybody knew was dead at the end of Return of the Jedi way back in 1983, three years before I was born. They have to go back to that because they just can't figure a way out of this mess. <clears throat> Would you like to hear the top 10 theories about Palpatine in The Rise of Skywalker as ranked by a, I don't know, some fucking loser at an online listicle place? Yeah, sure. I'm sure they're all equally disappointing and trying to carry water for bad writing. They are really, no, they're hilarious. So the first one is that Palpatine put Anakin Skywalker's spirit inside of Rey. Not sure how that would occur. <laughs> Ray is Palpatine's granddaughter. Okay, that one's kind of boring because there's all that, you know, oh, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi's granddaughter. Shit. I thought Jedi weren't supposed to have children. That was part of the problem with Anakin as a Jedi, that he wanted things that were outside the Jedi life. So it that, that doesn't really fit with Obi-Wan's character. He was kind of by the book. So the Jedi destroyed Anakin's life, and all. I, I see his perspective now. It just it just doesn't make sense. I mean, that's look. I mean, people overanalyze these movies and Star Wars and Star Trek and all this stuff so much. But look, on a like a basic storytelling level, it just it doesn't make sense because you're just contradicting everything that you've already put forth in the previous movies even if you take the movies themselves as just the canon you're contradicting your own films now so you're contradicting your immediate predecessor film I don't think they care I know they just care about making a billion dollars at the box office and selling lots of toys and trying to populate uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at uh <laughs> Disney World and Disneyland because apparently nobody goes there. I heard it's a huge ripoff and none of the promised stuff is really that amazing. Yeah, like you have to pay $70 to for your kid to construct his or her own lightsaber and then people were saying that the lightsabers were breaking. <laughs> yeah. They walked out of the park. 
I'm sure there's some kind of RFID chip in there when you leave the perimeter. It breaks. It's just pathetic. Like, and then the mixed drinks in the cantina that <laughs> like paying like $35 for a mixed drink. I mean, even by Disney ripoff standards, that's pretty high. I was listening to a podcast. I can't remember who was on it. It was some comedian, but he was complaining that he had been there at the premiere and it was so upsetting because the people were trying so hard to be in character, but he was really trying to find out what was in the food he was eating at the restaurant. And he was like, was this the pork or the chicken? And they're like, do you, do you mean the braised dewback? <laughs> he's like, no, I mean the pork or the fucking chicken. Like, like yeah, you're going to have to tell me eventually because I have a severe pork allergy. Or something. <laughs> exactly. Like, what's in this right now? My, my son is dying. Like, do you mean the Dwelu seeds? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Allergies and no work. Only a pine. So I can't wait for that inevitable situation. Right. So, the first person to die from an ingredient in a mixed drink, and then we can't figure out what exactly poisoned the person because it's all in stupid Star Wars speak. Oh, no. You have to down. That's the other thing that's really retarded about this is like, the signage is all in quote-unquote basic, which is like the gobbledygook hieroglyph language in Star Wars. But you're supposed to get your Star Wars translation app on your phone. So like you have to walk around with your phone in front of your face all the time to understand what all the shit says. Another weird choice, since I don't ever remember there being a written piece of paper that somebody has to read something from in any Star Wars movie. Yeah, I mean... I would be like, nobody ever it. reads anything off a screen or a tablet or a anything. Like, I don't ever remember anybody reading anything in a Star Wars movie. Everything was either like some visual representation or they just, it was dialogue. I mean, I, yeah, nobody's ever shown reading anything. It's implied, I think, people are reading things, but they're not shown. Like, Han Solo's reading his navigational computer while. Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke are playing with the orb. Right. Well, let me ask you, though. Do you think eight-year-old kids care about that? No, but I can't really get that upset about this because that was the language that was in all the games and stuff from the old expanded universe. Right, which doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I know. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you could do differently that's not retarded and gay. But, oh, God, you can't say that anymore. Shit, Justin's trial took so long, society has changed so substantially. Um, just one of those terrible, awful, hell-bound, accursed things. Because there's so much stuff you could have done with this. And instead it just turned into what sounds like. Admittedly, I haven't gone and you haven't gone either. It just Probably sounds like it's... Go. No, I, well, why would you want to? It sounds like it's fucking awful. No, if I'm going to go to <laughs> Disney, I'm going to go to the Grand Floridian and I'm just going to hang out there for most of the time and maybe see some of the other stuff, not go to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. The uh, It's built right on the edge of the park, apparently, in... Uh... Swampland? <laughs> yeah, in, in the area that is basically the where they never finished reclaiming the swamp because they never had to but i i wonder if star wars galaxy's edge will be able to maintain its uh 
laser level status in the coming years. If it doesn't, it'll just be. I, I here's what I think is going to happen to that place because I think they the fundamental error they made when they built that place is that they overestimated how much people liked the new characters and the new movies. Yeah. And you can see this like in a, it's kind of a lagging indicator because clearly they decided that they were going to start building this park like before 2015 because these things take a really long time to build. But another great indicator is the toy sales after the first uh, prequel or not prequel uh, sequel force awakens came out. So there, I don't need to tell anybody about this because you've probably seen the videos. There's just, shelf upon shelf upon shelf of unsold Star Wars merchandise because nobody gives a shit about the new characters. Nobody likes them. Even the little girls to whom the characters were meant to appeal. No, no, no. Uh, Young girls will be inspired by Captain Phasma, according to What's-Her-Face. Yes, yes, that, that should make every little girl feel great about her future career as a no-name secretary, because Captain Phasma shows up for a grand total of five seconds, which is the exact same amount of time the secretary takes to hand the executive his papers to sign. And then go place some water bottles in a conference room. Exactly. Yeah, it's... uh, I don't know. They messed up with choosing the sequel trilogy as the basis for the park, so I predict that if this doesn't turn around. They're going to do a renovation on it and turn it into an origi- original trilogy park. Yeah, which would and be better. change everything back so that it's original trilogy theme. <clears throat> so everybody will be comfortable with that. Or they'll tear it down completely and they'll just turn it into Marvel land. Oh. Yeah, because Marvel's one thing that they've done pretty well with and they haven't really offended anybody or bored anybody yeah i guess just marvel land though is so it's so grounded on earth like why would you want to visit a miniaturized version of new york city i mean the only reason i can think of why they haven't tried to do something like that is if there's some kind of rights um arrangement with the previous places that have had like Marvel themed uh, coasters and <clears throat> rides like I know Universal which is pretty much right down the road from Disney World yeah uh, they they had like a bunch of uh, uh, Marvel themed rides and stuff at their park for a long time before Disney bought uh, Marvel I think maybe they still do <clears throat> So maybe there's something going on there with the rights and, or, or something similar to that. I don't know, but that would be my prediction is if Star Wars Land doesn't work out, they'll just turn it into Marvel Land and then everybody will be happy with their, their Marvel product, which is, with few exceptions, kind of like the McDonald's of movie making. It's like you get some level of quality and it really doesn't deviate from that. Yeah, until you get to Thor too. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't see they have much of a choice other than to commit to keeping Star Wars land open because they invested so much time and money 
yeah, into this franchise like now. Over the physical development, yeah, but also <clears throat> into the franchise itself and into the movies. And they're so deep on making this new conception of Star Wars work that I, I don't think that they're going to be able to just for, I guess, practical reasons, abruptly turn around and turn it into Marvel land. I think they'll have to, like you said, either turn it into original trilogy land or even prequels land, because at this point, I would rather walk through Anakin's slave place and have somebody try to sell me like a fake rat thingy than this any of the places from the new movies. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of all the places, none of them. There really aren't any interesting locales in the new movies. Well, they're they're over they're only present for one scene, that's the problem. Yeah, but I mean even yes, that's true. But even the scenes they're present in they're just really carbon copies of scenes that we've or places that we've seen before. Like Jakku is tattooing or diet tattooing. Uh, the jungle planet they go to to find uh, Maz Kanata. It's just yeah. like diet Endor. The salt planet in Last Jedi is just diet Hoth. I think that was actually George Lucas's criticism of the new movies is that he said he was always trying to to push everything technically and present new things. Like I, I think of like the the remember in Revenge of the Sith, the sinkhole planet. Uh the what planet? Where General Grievous and the droid army are hiding out. Oh, and that, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and he has the, the laser dinosaur chase thing. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I mean, say what you will, criticize the movie, but I think as a conceptual location, that's pretty cool. Like a planet that's composed of mostly sinkholes and the people all live in the giant sinkholes. Oh, I, I agree. I think that was some of the best stuff about the old expanded universe was just the creative way that they would say like this is like a civilization that lives in uh, they live in canyons because the wind is so high on the planet or there's this little slit you have to fly the ship through and all that kind of shit now yeah. it's like this is a rock planet it feels more like star trek's approach which is like this is a rock planet and then right. next week it's going to be a jungle planet yeah, it's just it's sad though because they're not dealing with the practical limitations that star trek had where they were no. forced to use the same sets over and over again and just redress them. Whereas, you know, Star Wars has billions of dollars behind it. They have, Disney's the biggest media conglomerate in the world. I think that's why it's particular, like a, a really, it's a big waste because they could have done so much. Did None of these places, none of these locations in any of the movies really feel like there's any substance to them. It's well, like it's a lack there. of imagination. That's because they had. There's no technical limits. The CGI has improved so much, even from the prequels. Like the Phantom Menace, if you go back and look at it, I think some of the CGI is actually pretty horrible. Even you can 
like especially if you're watching it in the Blu-ray quality, you can see especially the stuff that's in like the the midground and the background looks awful. And then if you just go like four years, five years ahead to Revenge of the Sith, you can see how much it improved. Well, nowadays, I don't think there's any technical limits on how well you can make something look in a big budget movie like this because the Marvel movies look fantastic. And honestly, they're like probably 75% CGI. I mean, every Iron Man movie is at least half CGI because Iron Man's completely CGI character when he's in the suit most of the time. So I don't, I don't think there's any limits on any of that stuff. It's just like they can't imagine new places or they're so afraid to create new places that they either create uh, places that are so similar to old places that there's no real distinction and it just comes off as like, you know, like I said, diet Endor, or they just go back to the old place. Yeah, it's, it's, locations don't have any. There's nothing that attracts you to them. And there's nothing that makes you think about them. Well, it's just I know we're focusing in on one little microcosm here, but to to me, it's just the bigger picture is just like total lack of imagination in the storytelling and everything surrounding that. Like where what your characters do, who they are, where they go, all that kind of stuff. It just seems stayed and tired and play it safe or not at all right or not at all and to me that's the big the big downside business-wise to star wars i mean i know this has been said by other people but it really is kind of a self-limiting thing is that there's really not much you can do Outside of it, I mean, the expanded universe stuff is really cool, but you know, they decided to take that and flush it down the toilet because they had to create a whole new continuity. Yeah, um, I just just think there's like this built-in expiration date for Star Wars stuff, where like after 1983, all the interest and in the toy merchandise sales and all that dropped off pretty precipitously until they revived all that stuff in the mid nineties because Lucas was gearing up to release the special editions and then the prequels. And then again, I think after the prequels were done and he made his like shitty little animated one about the clone wars. Yeah. I think that interest dropped off a lot after that again. And all you really had for a long time, if you were like a young kid as a star Wars fan was like that clone wars TV series. And then, uh, whatever came after that, I think it just ended for a while, and then they kind of Disney kind of restarted some of the the little TV shows that they were running. But I mean, if there's not some permanent media presence, the interest in Star Wars goes away. I just don't think there's a demand for the permanent media presence because the stories they're telling, I mean, even the stories in the movies, they're really great movies. But if you were to take the start and end point of those stories and try to make that into a TV show, it would be so fucking boring and awful. And the stuff that they could have successfully translated into other media was just ignored because I think it was too different from regular Star Wars. Like now, yeah. if that stuff, if time had shifted and 
that stuff was being produced now and the original canon was still in place, of course there'd be some kind of Netflix or Hulu or whatever, Tales of the Bounty Hunters or something, because this is at the right time to do that kind of creative stuff and tell a different kind of story and all that shit. But that, that stuff stayed dormant for too long, so it's just kind of permanently been left, which is unfortunate because now you're in the situation... Like you were saying, and I've heard this criticism too, that if you're going to do Star Wars, it's like you have, I don't know, 10 Prius, there's like 10 pieces, 10 Lego pieces, and you can put them together to make different things, but there's like a, just a finite number of combinations you can get. And then it starts to get really stale because nobody wants to go insane and do build something abstract. Right. I, <clears throat> you know, I think... I think the only way that this would have worked would be that they would have kept, you know, criticize him all you want, but if they had just kept George Lucas on as kind of like a creative consultant attached to the movies and had somebody just way out of left field do the next Star Wars film, like, I don't know, like... uh Maybe not this extreme, but just for the sake of argument, like Werner Herzog's Star Wars or something like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, like to me, that would be that would be a very out there vision for it, but it could it could have worked. Especially if you had like some kind of like moderating influences in there. Like, you know, they brought back the original screenwriter from you know, Empire Strikes Back and all that stuff and he, I mean, I think he's been doing work with them for a few movies, but something like that where you j- inject a little kind of novelty in it because I think that's what people really liked about the original films is that they came out at a time where movies were really, uh, let me say, uh, uh, boring, mostly. <laughs> yeah, let's um, put it mildly. Yeah, I mean, I like I like films a lot, and there's plenty of movies from the 70s that are great films, but I don't really think you had that sense of uh, adventure that uh, Star Wars reintroduced. I mean, that uh, like the if you'd have to go back to like the 40s and the 50s to like find kind of like B movie type serial adventures like that, which is what Lucas said he always kind of wanted to do. He and Spielberg seemed to be from that kind of school of thought that they wanted to create George Lucas wanted to create Buck Rogers, I guess. And Steven Spielberg wanted to recreate the adventure serials of rough and tumble archeologist adventure guy. Right. And I, so I, I think that the love of those things really came through and came through at the right point in time where young people were ready to see an exciting film that didn't have Dustin Hoffman in it deciding whether he was going to raise his son or not. <laughs> you know, just like all these like hyper, hyper real life realism type movies or just uh, yeah, like, look, look at like the Oscars when Star Wars came out, like it, it lost to a Woody Allen film. Okay, like yeah. Woody Allen films, like, okay, some of them are uh, but <laughs> on the whole, I don't really 
I, I like I picture myself in 1978, and I'm just like, yeah, like you know, I want to go see Star Wars, or I don't want to go see Annie Hall. And it's like I'm gonna if I'm a if I'm a 15 year old kid, I wanted to I want to see Star Wars. Ideally, right? Yeah, but yeah, because it's an exciting adventure, <clears throat> escapist, but it also has a good story wrapped up in all that uh, kind of B movie fluff or what you would normally associate with a B-movie, but it came through in a really high-quality production. And then they upped it again with Empire Strikes Back, and then some people say Return of the Jedi is a bad movie, but uh, I think that, at least in terms of the technical quality, they they kept moving the bar higher and higher. I think the bar for the technical stuff is now like we were saying, kind of immaterial, which matters less and less. Yeah, but at this, but back then, I mean, that I think that was part of the appeal. It's like, oh my god, like look at, you know, I'm sure when people came out of Empire Strikes Back, everybody talked about the uh, the the Battle of Hoth scene and like how they were able to do such amazing things with miniatures and models, stuff that, you know, just five years ago could not have been conceived of. Where if you go back and watch like a, a another Disney movie, The Black Hole, and you look at like the use of models and miniatures and special effects and that, and compare it to uh, Star Wars, a movie that came out like just a few years later, I think <clears throat> around the same time. Not sure. There's a huge world of difference, and I think that's one of those things that attracted people, like just the general the rise in the quality. And the great storytelling. And then in like 1999, I think they just, you know, there was a lot of pent up demand for Star Wars because a whole generation of people had grown up watching the movies on VHS. And then it was going to be out in a theater again and not just out in a theater, but it was a completely new movie. I don't disagree with any of that. I, d- I didn't explain myself completely earlier. I think that that's really true for the time. It's just that now we're in this point where you, like you were saying, there's no technical limitation. So there's, it becomes harder and harder to really up the ante enough for somebody to go see the movie just because it does something amazing. Like the last time I can think of that being applicable was Avatar because that was such a pioneering film for the face motion capture that you can do with a, like a Raspberry Pi at home now, 10 years later. So I think if you're not going to tell a good story, you're fucked. And that's where they continue to screw up because they can do whatever they want with their computer. I think George Lucas proved that. And then Disney reproved that in case we had any doubts, but if there's nothing behind it and I don't care about the characters and you introduce all of this stupid nonsensical shit and try to get me interested in something that lasts for one scene because you have to get to that next point. It, I just, I can't, I can't get myself to care about it. There's nothing that attracts me to it, no matter how good the visuals look. I think that's the, if, you know, we've been kind of all over the place on this, but if I had to just boil it down to one thing the one difference that really matters between way back when the original films were being released and now 
I think you're right. It's the quality of the storytelling. It just seems like for some reason, people have forgotten how to tell good stories. Or I don't know how the numbers break down. Is there too much interference by movie studios to follow kind of a formulaic movie pattern? Or are there just not enough quality screenwriters out there these days? Or are pe- have people just forgotten, you know, kind of like the basic foundations of literature? And that's what has led to kind of like low quality story structure, things like that. Because I see like people, I know at the time, like Empire Strikes Back was criticized by, well, critics to be redundant. And a lot of them didn't like it. But I mean, if you go back and read the script, it really is actually well-written. Everybody has something to do. Every, you know, the care, most of the characters have a good arc it's not a traditional structure because it's like kind of like two movies taking place at the same time, but it's kind of like all the characters at the beginning are, are together. They split up, go their separate ways, and then they come back together for the end of the film. And it all makes sense. Whereas you get to the prequels and things like that. It's like a lot of stuff just, you know, and we're not going to talk about this because another Another person has done a far more in-depth job of analyzing this than we ever could. Uh, but you can see there's so many obvious flaws in the storytelling. Maybe that was because nobody was challenging George Lucas. I don't know. But then fast forward it like, you know, another couple decades here and you see a lot of the same issues showing up in the Star Wars films. And the irony is that they're written by the, some of the same people who were responsible for the original movies. So I don't know what's happened. I think it's that Disney owns it now. What, and that just, you know, they're interfering in the story because they've got to get, like, so many mentions of whatever, whatever, because they're going to sell a product based on it or something? I think they have the problem is if you look, look back at Lucas, he's running the show, he's doing it himself, he's writing it himself, he's arranging the financing, he's got, he has all the cards, he's totally in control of his own project. Fine, whatever, but he goes through and says, we're doing it this way, I want to see this, this, and this, and then you know the guys just make his specific vision happen, and nobody acts as like a control rod to say, like, hey, wait a minute. And you also have to balance, that's the storytelling, you have to balance it also with George's commercial interests, which is like, I want to sell toys and video games and licensing and stuff, so I can't have one kind of robot, I have to have ten kinds of robots, I can't have one kind of clone trooper, I have to have at least three on screen so I can make up ten more later. All that's cool, but I think that the difference is now that that's in the hands of Disney, who does all that stuff much better than George Lucas, who's a master of merchandising himself. But Disney also has the additional pressure to make something like they're like all the old Disney movies that are supposed to be the ones you have the memories of. It's I mean, it's it's a it's it's difficult to say, even because it's like you want to say that they have a flaw, but they're good movies and they have good stories, but they are formulaic. There is something of like you expect something out of it. And I'm sure that Disney is less comfortable trying something different with Star Wars because now it's one of their brands 
And at some point they're banking in, you know, 15 years, you're going to have people looking back on uh, Star Wars as like, oh, I remember that when I was a kid. Oh, I have, you know, memories of Star Wars, but it's going to be new Star Wars. Yeah, see, I just don't think that kids watching the new movies today are going to have those great memories in no, 15 they don't. years. They, they won't, but that's the irony is that Disney's formulaic animated films were so much more creative because they had the same plot structure, but they had such different stories around it and storytelling that they're memorable. But these Star Wars movies, I you, you get confused between what's happening because you don't care maybe, but also because it's hard to keep up with what the fuck because none of it's, it's all just like somebody puked all over the script and the interns trying to wipe it off. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that analogy because, well, I mean, I'm sure this is not new news to anybody, but, uh, you know, Star Wars follows that hero's journey story structure, which, I mean, let's be honest, most movies, most good movies follow that basic structure. They can play around with it a little bit, but most of them adhere to it. And you're right. It's just it comes down to not just like the plot points and the structure that you choose, but uh, how the characters develop, the arc that the characters go through, all the things that surround that. Uh, I'm thinking of the classic Disney animated films, and every character goes through some like some journey in that movie, right? And there's some there's some call to action that propels them forth on this journey of discovery or whatever. And then they end up having to face, you know, the, the big battle at the end. And then they've learned something and they become a different character as a result. Like I think of, uh, I don't know what's, what's a good Disney animated film, uh, uh, like Bambi or something, right? He starts out the movie. He's like a little helpless, uh, well, I don't know what baby deer are called, fawns. Yeah. Okay, he's like a little helpless fawn, and he, he's being raised by his mother, and he doesn't know much about the world, and uh, he doesn't even know who his father is, or he just barely sees his father. And then the call to adventure, I guess, is like, you know, his mother's shot by the hunter, so he has to go. He gets raised by his father in the woods. He grows up. You know, he has to face danger, and at the end of the movie, he's the new king of the forest. Just like Luke has to, you know, get off Tatooine, and his parent or his aunt and uncle get vaporized, and he has to go and fight the Empire, blow up the Death Star, and because of that, he goes on this hero's journey where he, you know, gets outside of himself and learns how to use the Force and all that. To me, that's like the basic appealing story structure that most movies should go for. And it just seems like Disney just missed like all the little things that plug into that basic structure that make it worth paying attention to. Like Luke is an interesting character because Luke is every 17 year old kid who hates doing, you know, yard work for his dad and just wants to get out of there. Right. And Ray is not interesting like that. I don't care about anything she does. It's not because she's a woman. It's just because her character is not interesting. 
I mean, we get like a little bit into like the J, the problems of the J.J. Abrams mystery box style of storytelling. But to me, that's that's part of the appeal of Luke and the non-appeal of Ray is that the first time we see Luke on Tatooine, what is he doing? He's helping his uncle buy the droids and we get an immediate sense of what his life is like living on the moisture farm. He wants to get out of there more than anything. We know he's a pilot. We know all of his friends have left and gone to the Imperial Academy or uh, wherever they go to become great pilots. And he just wants to get out of there. Whereas, you know, what's Ray's thing? She like, I mean, there's, she just like salvages shit and sells it for money. And we don't, learn anything about her really where did porkins learn to fly right and well but (laughs) you know her whole thing is she wants to get back to the planet that's what she keeps saying throughout force awakens and i just i don't get that also because she doesn't have any kind of definable arc like you kind of get hints that luke has some skills in the beginning of the movie like you know, Obi-Wan says that you got the potential to use the Force. We know Luke is kind of a good pilot. He does tinker with stuff on his downtime when he's not harvesting moisture, wherever it is. They get. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Ray, I, mean, I think people have mentioned this, is like she's immediately good at everything. And so there's no struggle involved. Therefore, she's not interesting. Like, can you name something she struggles with in The Force Awakens? I can. I mean, oh, I can name something. What? Being interesting. Yeah, exactly. She's just not interesting. I mean, at every point, uh, I mean, Luke fucks up rescuing Princess Leia from the Death Star, right? They have to jump into the trash pit and then barely get in out of there alive. Then, uh, you know, they're trying to get it off the Death Star. Luke blows up the control console that's going to extend the little bridge so they can walk across the chasm and everything, and he has to figure a way out of it. And it's kind of, there's real tension. There's actually something happening. Whereas with Ray, it's like, you know, by the midpoint of that movie, it's like you just got the sense of, okay, like, yeah, how she, she's, she's so special. She's so special. That's what they keep telling us. She's special. But Why? Right, they keep hitting us over the head with the fact that she's special. They don't tell us why she's special. Whereas in episode four, or Star Wars, as those of us who lived before uh, the prequel trilogy know it as, you know, there's some hint that Luke has like got some kind of special destiny, but uh, he's a kid. He's a farm boy. He's he's non-remarkable. That's what makes it so interesting that he's able to rise up and defeat the entire evil empire in, in, you know, the course of a two-hour movie. Yeah, nobody cares about Ray. Yeah, it's just nobody cares about any... <laughs> any any of the new people. Like, look at what they did to Han Solo. I mean, he was like the, you know, lovable... Uh, I guess rogue with the, the heart of gold or whatever. And we find out and his character kind of develops from this cynical uh, guy who's just interested in getting paid to at the end of the movie, he does have a heart because he comes back and saves 
this kid that he's kind of grown fond of from certain death. So that's a great character arc, and they continue it throughout the next two movies, even though Harrison Ford wanted to kill him at the end of Empire Strikes Back. Han Solo is a great character. Force Awakens, what do they do to Han Solo? He's turned into a loser, single dad uh, who gets murdered by his emo son and then dies like a bitch by falling off of a, a, a gangplank. Yeah. That's not interesting to me. <laughs> dramatic, I guess. Yeah. It's, I it's guess not, it's the theory. It's not dramatic either because you can tell it's not even a set. It's just like some CGI-produced uh, blue screen. It wouldn't matter if it, even for a set, though, because it's... It's so... It's forced. Yeah, it's forced. It's awkward. It doesn't... There's no reason to do it other than to just shock people, subvert their expectations, I guess. Yeah, Ryan Johnson style. I mean, J.J.'s guilty of that, too, to be frank. Yeah, so... I mean, (laughs) to come back to it in this really roundabout way, because it's been all over the place, is... Just they, they're missing the fundamentals of the storytelling. That's what it comes down to for me. And all the other stuff that surrounds it, they can make as many great locations and characters and things like that as they want. It's just, you know, it, none of that matters unless the story you're telling is compelling, which is why I think a kid in 1995 you know, could conceivably want to buy a Star Wars toy of some random droid that was in the back of the Sandcrawler, you know, to be a completist or completionist, whatever you say, just because the movies were so awesome and the story was so engaging that it sucked you in and you wanted to have every piece of that universe that you could. Not anymore. Yeah, so I, that's my theory, but why, why do you think that a nine-year-old kid in 1995 would want to have his parents buy him every Star Wars toy, including like all the no-name background characters, uh, versus 2015, where they struggle to sell toys and merchandise for the marquee characters? Because... You didn't know anything about the background characters, and you had a good sense of who the marquee characters were. That's why. That's the only reason you'd be interested in that, other than wanting it for collector purposes, but for any kind of imaginative reason. But you want to... I think think the kid would want to acquire... And I say the kid. I mean me in 1995, you know, would want to have like even all the background characters like the stupid like i have the toy of the uh droid in jabba's palace that turns the gonk droid up over and and burns his feet with the branding iron yeah like i have that droid you don't know who the fuck his name is in the movie his name's like evd9 or something like that but that's the point Right, and and I have that toy because the marquee characters in those movies 
and the story that's told around them is so compelling that I want to recreate the entire story itself. So having the no-name droid is like not a waste of money. It's kind of like a gateway to building like your your better Star Wars, I don't know, uh, universe and your own imagination. That's what I was saying, though, is that you because you don't know anything about him, that's, that's why it's... What makes it such a Star Wars, or what made it, I guess, now passing such a good place to, a fertile place to imagine things was because you had a really strong sense of what the basic core story was. You had a basic strong sense of what the the core marquee people characters were, what they were about. And then the other stuff in the background was minimum at best. So you knew a little bit about that droid. And he's like part of a background sequence in one specific tiny part of one planet in the galaxy but he's part of it and you know nothing about him but his job so now it's like okay there's all this other stuff you can imagine about it that's why boba fett used to be cool you really didn't know anything about him he kind of got a little lame after it turns out he was just a really angry kid who saw his dad's head get cut off and now he creepily wears his dead father's armor and bounty hunts people it's yeah. kind of stupid. He he was a cool <laughs> bounty hunter who, look, he didn't appear at all in the original release of uh, A New Hope, right? No. No, uh, uh, well, he was there, but it was when the, it was the cut scene when Java was the fat Irish guy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right, and then they've they've replaced the fat Irish guy with two consecutive bad CGI skin jobs. Yeah, but the yeah. original theatrical cut, he wasn't in there, no. Right, so like for all intents and purposes, he was not in the original film at all. He was in Empire Strikes Back for like less than 10 minutes. And I think, what, maybe he had like three or four actual lines of dialogue? Yeah. But the things he said were really cool. And he had but, a cool he had a cool design and he had a cool voice and that's what sold the toy. I think you're exactly right. And because that's all you knew about him, he was just kind of this you knew he was a bad guy, you knew he was a bounty hunter, and you knew he was pretty cool. And you you it's what it's like the idea of George Lucas retelling something. This is like the you know, by this point in Empire Strikes Back, we know Han Solo's uh, the roguish guy who's used to a little bit of rough and tumbles not uh, not unaccustomed to a gunfight, whatever, but he's concerned about the the bounty hunters, really, because that's why he's telling General Riken, like, oh, I have to get back to, you know, pay off Jabba. And then even Darth Vader, who we've also separately established to be this badass guy who's fearful of nothing and doesn't give a fuck about anything, you know, actually deigns to have a little bit of back and forth with Boba Fett on some kind of minorly respectful level. Of course, now I guess that's ruined because I'm sure somebody would say, well, Anakin knew it was Boba Fett and he was feeling really bad that Mace Windu cut his father's head off on the little bug people planet. So he was trying to be nice by saying no disintegrations. Yeah. Shitting on the fanboys is an entirely separate podcast because that could that's like a whole podcast series you could do. <laughs> no, but the there's who, just so much yeah, material. Who want to explain everything. But like the point is that Boba Fett's this guy who's established 
not only by his own actions, but by the actions of other characters who have their own strong identities you know. It's like, this guy's cool. And then that's the problem for me with the new Star Wars movies. It's like you'd never get the droid in the background at Jabba's palace. It's like you'd walk by and then C-3PO would turn to the camera and everything would stop and he would address you like Abraham Lincoln from the back of the train at the Gettysburg Address on who the droid is, where he's from, what he does, what his <laughs> favorite you know, kind of solvents are to use, and then he would continue the scene like nothing happened. They explain fucking everything now. They'd be whispering like, oh, you know, that's EVD-9. He tortures the droids Java doesn't like. And they'd have a reaction shot of him looking all evil with slitted eyes and shit. Nothing happens in the background now. There's no imagination. So everything is explained to you, and you can't ever think of an explanation or try to come up with something because you're fucking wrong, because that's not the way it works. It's this button controls that because it was programmed by the Kuiper crystal. Okay, everything is now scientifically explained and broken down. Oh, the laser uses the Kuiper crystals to focus, and it's going to blast through the door because it's miniaturized Death Star tech. That... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck that idiot shit. <laughs> It's just not the way Star Wars works. Like that's that's the right, biggest it's fantasy. Problem. Like you is, don't, does Gandalf yes. explain how all his spells work? No. What's the point? <laughs> when they when they're trying to solve the puzzle of the door, they're like, "Oh, it's the elves word for friend." Okay, great. And the door opens, and Gandalf does not describe the magic that was worked on the stone to make it open. He doesn't go into an in-depth explanation of how they carved the symbols on the door because right. nobody fucking cares. Right, which is interesting because <laughs> Tolkien went back and he made that mistake by writing the the Silmarillion. I mean, it, that he put it in a separate book, though. Yeah, so like, yeah. At least but, you can ignore it. But yeah, that's what I mean, though. Like, people read Lord of the Rings. I mean, some people hate them because they think they're like overwritten, but I think they're great. And there's not too much explanation. There's mystery left in there. But then I don't know of anybody who's actually read the Silmarillion. Because no. it's just it's just like useless filler stuff that you really didn't need to know. It's, it's like half of it's a genealogy book, which I guess if you were really into Lord of the Rings, it might be interesting to you. And I see how that would be helpful for Tolkien as a writer to flesh out his world like that. Fine. And I wouldn't care if George had put all this stuff in, in books or even made, I don't know, a separate... Star Wars movie of people just reading a database for two hours. It's just the need, especially I think with Disney that's carried over from Marvel is they feel they have to explain everything to the audience. Like Loki can't have a magic scepter that controls your mind. It has to be powered by an infinity stone and work using this kind of magic. We have to explain it. His portal is trying to open to the 15th dimension this is how you stop it with harmonic resonance. The, nothing can just be like, that's a background character who's putting his groceries into his hover car. They want, they, they have to tell you what he's buying and why, what he's making for dinner. And why you should buy it. Right, well, it, but exactly. Yeah. It's, like, it's like the Truman Show. It's like yeah. the Truman Show. Nothing goes unnoticed. Like his wife's making pancakes and takes the time to give him a, like an address on why this is the best pancake batter. That's what it feels like. There's no room for your imagination anymore because they suck all – they turn the fire up so much, they suck all the oxygen out that it's like you're watching 
you're almost watching like a video game cutscene now, it feels like, because you're just having the story laid out. You have no control over it. And nothing you do later is going to undo or change what you've seen. It's a totally passive experience. Right. Which film is inherently kind of passive, but at, the, at least you can be mentally involved. This is just like somebody is just cutting open your head and shoveling in some slop. They're spoon feeding it. Yeah. Everything is yeah. just broken down. Like, that's the bad guy. Really? Like, the, if you shot Star Wars A New Hope now, you would have, you know, two of the rebels survive the ambush by the stormtroopers, and one of them would say to the other, that's Darth Vader. He's a bad guy. I bet he's here to kill us. Well, you, we you did have a, we did have a remake of uh, <laughs> that was of a New Hope that was shot in the modern day. It's called The Force Awakens, and they do exactly <laughs> what you're saying, don't they? In that first uh, that first scene where Kylo Ren shows yeah. up, there's people commenting on who it's he Kylo is. <laughs> he's he's the Dark Lord. He's the Master Apprentice evil guy. It, but you didn't need that when Darth Vader walked out of there, and admittedly the music helped. But when Darth Vader walked in there, it was like, oh, this guy is, is, is evil. He has a commanding presence. He's kind of a badass. He's controlling. He dominates the scene. You don't need to have somebody say, that's Darth Vader. He's evil. Kylo Ren stopping the blaster bolt in midair and, you know, lightsabering all those people and shit. That, that ought to be evidence enough that he's has some ability. And he's evil because he's walking around slaughtering people. It's just right. that... that um, What's that? What's I can't remember this. Um, Titanic, like when uh, what's Billy Zane is saying? Um, did like oh, what was that artist's name? Picasso. <laughs> Those sketches will never. They won't be worth anything. He'll never amount to anything. Trust me. <laughs> and the audience is supposed to go. Oh, I've heard of Picasso, and that's funny because he became a very famous artist. Right, they'd explain in in the modern day. They'd explain who Picasso was, and stuff, like with exposition. Right, exactly. It's like this is why you should think that that joke is ironic. There, you're no longer. I think that a show like, um, I mean, just talking in terms of like appetite now. Like, I think Frasier would bomb horribly because it didn't explain the joke, and if you didn't get it, that was too bad for you. It. it depends too much on a cultural literacy that doesn't exist. Yeah. Today. That's yeah. a good way of putting it. Yeah. Like uh, the to a more like down to earth for the people who listen to this podcast for me would be like Star Trek 2: The Wrath of Khan because if you had never seen an episode of classic Star Trek, I think you can watch that movie and you can still understand exactly what's going on and why things are important because it's just connected enough to that original series continuity, and yet not everything is explained. Things are hinted at and explained just enough that you understand why the things that are happening are such a big deal. Like You, you understand why Khan hates Kirk so much, why he wants revenge, and you understand uh, the history with Kirk. I mean, part of that's done through exposition, but you know, you don't have to go on this. Kirk doesn't go on this big, long speech to, you know, a secondary character about exactly what happened in that episode of Star Trek where they find Khan. Right. Now there'd be a flashback. Right. Which is the laziest storytelling technique one can possibly put in there. It shouldn't. 
like every screenwriting book for anybody who doesn't know anything about screenwriting, every screenwriting book that you could ever buy tells you in the first 30 pages that using flashbacks is lazy. That it's like a, it, it's a substitute for good writing because it allows you to explain your way out of things that make no sense. Which often happens. Right. And I feel, not I feel, I think that we've uh-huh. gotten to this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we've gotten to this point where uh, the laziness is just accepted. Because people don't want to, I don't know, they don't want to take the time and put the, the polish on the script or the storytelling. Like, you're right. And again, I think, I, I didn't even think about this when I said it, but Star Trek Two is another good example because they made a remake of that called Star Trek Into Darkness. Yes, and, which instead of having, I mean, it's only, Star Trek Into Darkness is only accessible because of Star Trek Two. Right, it's a it's a movie that exists and depends on your knowledge of a previous film because it's a, just a remake basically. But if you watch it in isolation, it doesn't make any sense. Like you don't get why anybody's doing anything really. It doesn't make any sense and ironically it <laughs> It actually, when you watch it in isolation without having the the context or understanding the story, it <laughs> the movie becomes just even more bizarre when you think about the fact that you don't know why these people are mad at each other, but then it also takes the time to explain so much more to you, like the amount of exposition in Into Darkness versus The Wrath of Khan is hilarious. It's so out of step. Well, yeah, especially when they have to have. Uh classic universe Spock show up on the view screen to tell yes. the audience who Khan is and why he's so dangerous and <laughs> that they encountered him in classic Spock's universe and you know they didn't defeat him what did he say they didn't defeat him like not without great sacrifice or something like that yes which sets up like because that Spock killed himself for the right. save the crew which sets up that you think it's going to be the new Spock, but but if you just if you just watch Into Darkness, like you said, you would like. There's no reason why uh, Kirk and Khan should be adversaries, really. No, because, Khan's like the victim. Kirk should yeah. be like, wow, it's really fucked up what the Admiral did to you. Right, Admiral Robocop is the bad guy, and he's the like Khan's just a secondary character, really, until like the last act of the movie, and. General or Admiral Robocop, I don't know, they don't have generals, do they? <laughs> Admiral Robocop, he's the bad guy. He unfroze Khan and like held all his people hostage. So you'd think like him teaming up with Kirk because Kirk also doesn't like Admiral Robocop for various reasons. Like them, them being allies would be obvious. But then, you know, oh, because Khan and Kirk are enemies, don't you know that from back in the day, you moviegoers, we have to explain that Khan's a bad guy and that we fought him before, thus they must become enemies again. And the last act of the movie is just people punching each other in a Star Trek movie. Oh, where Spock punches Khan on top of the hover truck? Right, whereas if you, you're watching Star Trek Two, it's like, eh, I don't really need to know that Khan was a villain in a classic Star Trek episode. I know 
he's a guy that encountered Kirk. It didn't go well. And the basic story is guy wants revenge on guy who screwed him over really badly from his point of view. And he's been driven mad with his lust for vengeance. And I don't think, so it's a very, again, like it depends on some level of cultural literacy too, not beyond Star Trek. Like you kind of, you don't need to have read Moby Dick, but to kind of understand that story, because it's, I think it's something that a lot of people are familiar with without actually having read it because it's just in the culture. Like you can get by on that much with that movie, whereas Into Darkness, you know, nothing makes sense. It doesn't make sense with any explanation. That's the problem. You see Wrath of Khan, and Kirk says, like, we met, you know, whatever number of years ago. We marooned him on SETI 4, whatever it was. And there's, you know, and, and people, like, nerd people on the internet complain all the time that like the dates and everything there's no dates and kirk says like oh 15 years ago and there's like okay well was it really 15 years ago because we thought that the motion picture took place at this point in time and everything it's like you don't really you don't need to care about any stuff to watch the movie because that's really not the point whereas in the into darkness version and you know the disney star wars movies they're just they're just spoon feeding it all to you. Like, oh oh yeah, that's right. We we were able to save Kirk because Khan, didn't you know, has super blood that can heal any kind of disease or can cure death, basically. We're just gonna th- that's a throwaway that we're gonna put in the movie just to, you know, explain it to you that it's super blood, blah blah blah. That's it. There. That's the difference, is that Khan in the new movie is like he belongs in a, a, well, not a Marvel movie, it's too dark, and he belongs in a DC movie because it's all dark. But he actually has a, a true superpower. He's has like magic blood and incredible endurance and can beat Spock up and all that shit. The problem is that they're, it's a remake of Khan, the original Khan, who even in the TV show, his primary attribute, I mean, he was super strong and everything, fine, but his primary attribute is that he was smart. Right. So he, the doesn't, whole... he doesn't fight anybody physically in the movie Wrath of Khan. They're, they never even are in the same room. They're on completely different ships. Right, and that whole movie is about him using his, his intellect, not punching people, just he's using his brain Say I'm stranded on this planet. Okay, now I have a chance to get off the planet. What's the next step? And the next step and the next step. Okay, great. Now I've got control of a starship. I'm going to take revenge. That's my plan. You see, this is the reason why, uh, look, even though I did not really enjoy the actual writing of the book, I really enjoyed uh, the Martian movie because I thought it was really good at that kind of... um, not too much explanation, but it was a logical progression of the story at each point. Done, yeah. like 
cued almost to, you know, the very, very basics. Like, okay, got to survive on Mars after accident. Here's what I do next. Here's what I do next. Here's obstacle that I face doing that. It's a very, very simple story, but it conforms to that overall structure we were talking about and does it in a way that you actually care about this character, Mark Watney, and whether he's going to make it off the planet or not because there's real tension and the obstacles feel real at every point for him. Just like... In Wrath of Khan, you feel the tension, the obstacles are, the stakes are real. I mean, you know the stakes are real because somebody who actually matters dies in the movie. Whereas Into Darkness, are the stakes real? No. Kirk suffers no consequences for being a jackass. Kirk is revived, even though he was a jackass with special blood. Spock beats the shit out of people and nearly kills them. Uh, just rage monster Spock. That's it. <laughs> oh, I mean, compare that, I guess, to bring this full circle, the old, the original Star Wars movies and to some extent the prequels, but mainly the original movies and the new ones. Khan is a genius who uses his mind to get his revenge on Kirk versus Khan is a super genius bad guy, maybe kind of who hits people a lot and has a secret plan to make a starship for an admiral or something. There's it's all convoluted and doesn't nothing fucking makes sense. So that one's trashed. And they have to, well, it's, you can see, just read between the lines so easily that they have to make the convoluted plot to confuse you because otherwise you're, your mind knows that things don't make sense. So they just keep throwing plot points at you, plot point, plot point, plot point. So like you get confused and you kind of just forget about things as they keep getting shot at you. And oh, then yeah. you're just yeah. forced to kind of go on this rolling snowball of a of a movie journey until you get to the end, and you'll be like, well, you know, wow, wow, that that was exciting. There was a lot of action in that. But then later, you're like, mm, I, I don't get it. It didn't like it didn't make sense. And then you end up hating it like two months later because you keep thinking about it and it's wrong. Oh, I I think that that's true for a movie that does too little in terms of explaining itself but the movies that do all the thinking for you personally like i just don't i the, the dislike happens instantly i i think it's though it's like they're coming at it from a different angle but the problem ends up being the same they just keep throwing shit at you with the, the plot whether it's you know exciting action scene you know one two three action 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 like in rapid sequence or like with the Star Wars movies you're saying, where you know it's they're explaining everything to you. This is bad guy number one. Here's why you should think he's a bad guy. It's that stuff in rapid succession. And then you end I think you end up hating it for the same reason because it was they were using all that to mask over the fact that there's not really a lot of substance underneath it. No. They're I using, think... like, Dorling Kindersley uh, Guide to Star Wars book type uh, explanation to gloss over the fact that uh, the characters really don't have that much depth. 
And I think that's a problem that's present as a sort of like a then versus now thing that's even... I mean, look at the evolution of... Uh, we, were, we were talking about Die Hard the other, the other day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That in, in the original Die Hard, the first movie, like, it's this pretty simple story, and they're, the characters are all... They all make sense. You can see their motivation. It's very well laid out. Nobody stops and explains to the camera, like, Hans Gruber is a terrorist. Like, it's all, it, all, it all makes sense in context. And no, like Hans Gruber doesn't come out and say, Carl, I have discovered that this woman is the wife of the man who is in the building shooting at our compatriots. Carl. Yeah, he, you, you see him look at the picture, see the kids in the news look at the picture, make the connection and go, oh, fuck, like this is perfect. What a bargaining chip. Contrast that to the latest Die Hard and the villain and everybody who's the antagonist are just like, oh, here's our plan. Here's exactly how it's, here's what we're looking for. Here's and here's exactly how you can stop us. So you, American Flatfoot, better not interfere with this secret spy operation that your son is involved in, which is a, a shitty plot point from a separate perspective. But even within that own franchise, it's gone from a very simple story with great strong characters and believable, obvious reactions that you can understand how they build up to like. Uh, here's our secret plan. I hope you have a lot of explosions between here and stopping us because we know you're going to. Yeah. I, I, I keep coming back to the fact that I think, I think if that movie had been made last year, <laughs> the original Die Hard was made last year, that how it would have gone would be that Hans Gruber and the robbers walk onto the the party floor and they probably would just start firing their guns and then they would say we're the terrorists or we're the robbers right we want we want the 640 million in your vault give it to us now yep we're going to make ourselves look like terrorists and and there'd be exposition between characters explaining like yeah that's where we're making ourselves look like terrorists the stupid fbi <laughs> right and it'd be kind of like a ham-handed, like they'd explain it within two lines or something, whereas in the real movie, it's kind of played out over the course of an hour. Like, okay, we know pretty early on that they're not terrorists because it gets revealed through things they do. And even their conversations with each other. Like now, it's, it's like the when they're the guys are uh, shutting off the communications and the techno guy is drilling into the vault and they're all explaining like, you know, okay, so we do this, this and this, like this is step one, this is step two. Okay. And then we're going to do this. And then, and then eventually you find out that it's all a ploy to get them to shut off the power. So the batteries run out and the, the, the vault opens because the electromagnets turn off. Right. Awesome. Or, or, they, or they would reveal very early on that the plot, is to blow up the roof of the building, killing everybody to make it look like they died too. Yeah, like that's that, I mean. that would be revealed within the first forty-five minutes of the movie, and you would just you would kind of know it's coming the whole time. If it were made today, you say, "Okay, okay, they, we know they're going to blow the roof. They know that's the plan. Like, like what what's what's going to happen next? Like that would be it." Whereas that's kind of like a thing that I. I if I remember correctly, that's like the last third of the movie where they really figure out, like, you know that there's some reason he needs those detonators and that they were setting them up there. And that's not revealed until the last third of the movie. 
we find out when John McClane finds out, basically. Right. Whereas today, it would be simply like a couple of the terrorist guys would be talking to each other and saying like, yeah, Hans is going to blow the roof after that. And so the audience would know before John McClane does. Which is really boring. Right, because then you're just waiting for him to figure out that that's what's going to happen. It's the first time you see this movie. It's like these guys come in and take over the party. Oh, it's clearly terrorism, you know, something's going on. But then the guy's like, I want to talk to the CEO. Where's Mr. Nakatomi? And then they go and have what was a pleasant chat. I'm sure if Mr. Nakatomi had just given him the access, he wouldn't have shot him. Right. He says, you know, who said we're terrorists? Yeah. And it's not, it's not just like a, you know, expository statement. Like we are not terrorists. We want the money in your vault, dude. It's who said we were terrorists. And it's kind of, it's revealed through the plot, the action. Right, that he's just a robber, which actually makes him angry when somebody tells him that. Right. So, but it's such a difference in the way it's approached. You know, I almost feel sometimes that be, because the people at Disney, they, they can't be stupid. I don't think they're stupid because they're clearly good business people, a lot of them. I, I, sometimes I just wonder if like this stuff is... Maybe an alternative explanation is it's the result of a real disdain for the movie-going audience that the executives and the filmmakers really think people are so dumb now that they, they just have to put all this stuff into the script, no matter how lazy or dumb it makes them seem, because otherwise people won't see their movie because they won't get it. I mean, that's, that's a fair theory. I think there's a kernel of truth to that because, yes, there are a lot of dumb, dumb fucks who go to movie theaters and watch movies. I mean, there are a lot of stupid people walking around, for sure. So I, there's maybe a little bit of grain of truth to that. I just can't bring myself to, to excuse them for the laziness in writing and storytelling with that. I, I just don't think it covers enough of the problem to be considered the most valid explanation. I think they're probably just used to, at this point of 15 years of banking progressively more and more on Marvel movies, where I guess almost by necessity of the source material, a lot of shit is just kind of thrown at you. Like, as far as exposition, like, this is so-and-so. This is, you know, this is his superpower. He does this, 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 and this. Yeah, yeah, especially in, like, the later movies. Yeah. They really do that a lot, where, as if you go back to uh, just the Iron Man, the first Iron Man, there's not too much laziness in there. It's pretty, it's fairly tight script. The, The characters, they all have something to do. I mean definable arc for tony stark uh you know what i mean you get it but star wars went right to lazy is the problem right they didn't start out with the simple story again they just went right to we're gonna make like the big flashy movie poe dameron my favorite character ever yeah I i can tell you so much about him um he flies an X-Wing. That's not an X-Wing. 
And he has a beach ball droid. That's pretty much what I know. Hey, he doesn't follow orders all oh, the time. Oh, he's a hothead. Yeah, he's a hothead, so... Get him out of here. He has to be broken like a wild stallion. Yes, under the purple-haired heel of progress. Yeah, Admiral Feminist. Yeah. Admiral can't fucking drive. I don't even want to talk about that movie because it just raises no. so many questions of, like, why you didn't just outfit the smallest possible hyperdrive with something and just use it as a weapon for what this doesn't quite make sense. Just one of those things like this would be so cool. It would be so epic, yo. Epic. You know, I just, (laughs) I I think the last thing I would, I would say is that, you know, I, I just feel completely tapped out on star Wars it's just become so uninteresting to me even to talk about because I think, one, everything about it that can be said has already been said. Probably 99% of it. And it just seems like there's really nothing new to talk about with it. Uh, It's more like an observation of how far it's going to go before it collapses. Right, it seems to be like kind of like a, a, I guess, like possibilities, futures market now. That's like the whole Star Wars conversation is like talking about like, you know, Jesus, the theoretical Star Wars stock that exists in the mind of the culture. Is it going to keep going up? Is it going to keep going down? When's it going to crash? I mean, that's really the only, the business side of it is really the only interesting thing left to talk about because I think they've, they've kind of, well, we've, we've talked about this in other contexts, but it seems like they've kind of outlawed everything interesting about star Wars, really <laughs> either by, by <laughs> virtue of, you know, controlling it through this very narrow kind of storytelling that, kind of adheres to like, okay, here's all like the marketing like beats and plot points we need to hit and all the characters we need to introduce, you know, consumers to, or they explain everything away and there's no mystery. So I I think that that seems like they just like kind of outlawed everything that's fun about Star Wars and it's kind of just like a rote exercise now. But there's like far more interesting movies to like do talks and comparisons on, you know, sci-fi or not. Right. Like, uh, I mean, recently, the one of the things that I rewatched was uh, the original Batman movie. And I was thinking about that movie in comparison to, like, the Christopher Nolan films. And when I was thinking about it, it was a lot more interesting to talk about the differences between those films than it was to think about the difference between, you know new Star Wars and you Star Wars and classic Star Wars. Because one, I think at this point we all know the differences and, you know, nothing's new. Nothing new is going to happen. Whereas it seems to, at least with like DC movies and Marvel, you can credibly say that there, there could be something interesting to talk about still. I just don't have any hope that there's going to be interesting, uh, things about star wars coming in the future like i think we we pretty much projected out the path for star wars in the future they they had that big road map at their celebration star wars celebration this year right yes planning out the next 
200 years of Star Wars. Right. So, I mean, I think the most interesting thing that people didn't expect to happen over the last two years of Star Wars was that uh, I think they pulled Ryan Johnson's uh, trilogy that he was going to make, or did they give that back to him now? I, uh, I don't know. You know what? There's the Ryan Johnson trilogy. There's the Game of Thrones guys trilogy. Which none of it looks like it's going to be good based on the prior performance record. Right. Just, you know, those things don't interest me. It's like uh, <clears throat> in 2012, had we been having this podcast and we were talking about Lord of the Rings stuff, I would be kind of, I would be kind of interested in talking about the, the Hobbit movies because at that <laughs> time, you know, that was something unexpected like okay they made the lord of the rings movies why would they go back and make a movie out of a book that was very very incongruent with the lord of the rings trilogy but kind of tangentially related but still an interesting thing to talk about now we know that the hobbit (laughs) movies were inferior now but but that still would have been an interesting thing because like you know you really didn't have an idea of what was coming it's like, are they just... going to make four Tolkien universe movies? Are they going to, like, what's going to go on there? But, again, I think Star Wars and, to a lesser extent, Star Trek movies have kind of played themselves out because we've just had it all projected for us. I think that when they make a Star Wars movie, which is like a remake of The Hobbit... It's time to hang it up a little bit for a while. Let it rest. Like maybe let it rest like comic books did for a long time. <laughs> well, and people can come after me and say that the criticisms I'm making are, you know, that's Marvel to a T. I think the difference with Marvel is that it's, that's the structure. Because comic books are like that. Marvel's you know, always they, been like that. Right. They comic books project out the next iteration a month in advance. Like, aha, see what happens, you know, the last the last uh the last frame of the comic book is, you know, tune in, you know, next issue. Spider-Man does this or can to be continued or whatever. So you, you kind of know what's coming. It's this serialized structure whereas I never really took Star Wars or Star Trek to have a really serialized structure. They seemed uh, there was a lot more mystery like than is in the typical Spider-Man uh, storyline, which kind of makes sense for Marvel movies because, okay, they can hint at a few things like the uh, Infinity Stones, but generally after Iron Man saves the day, you kind of guess that there's going to be another Iron Man adventure and he's going to do something with the Iron Man suit against a guy with another Iron Man suit, probably. It's a safe bet. Yeah. Just like Star Wars has become a safe bet that somebody's going to do something with a lightsaber. Right. So, so I, don't, I don't shit on Marvel for that because their whole, the whole structure of comic books is kind of like the safe bet model. Like, you know the, continu- the story's going to continue next month, and it's probably going to be a direct continuation of the story you just read, whereas Star Wars is like, hmm, who really saw Empire Strikes Back coming after the original movie, uh, clearly a lot of people didn't because it was a very divided reaction to it. But 
quite different nowadays. I don't think that's the case. I think we know exactly what's coming. I think it's going to be something with uh, Ray for, uh, you know, Luke is going to come back because people uh, are dying. And the Emperor is going to be revealed as the big bad guy uh, behind everything because the other big bad guy that they had out there, nobody liked him, nobody cared about him. So they're going to bring back the, the bad guy that they know that people think of as the bad guy. So I kind of know exactly what's coming. <laughs> yeah, I just, I guess my closing thought is I don't think that, I think one of the greatest strengths of Star Wars, the original trilogy, is that you never actually saw the bad guy really properly until the last half of the last movie. Right, he was, he was only mentioned in the first film and then he was seen just briefly in Empire. And it set up this expectation of like, wow, that's the Emperor. Hmm. And then when it, you get Return of the Jedi and you hear Vader saying the Emperor is coming, you're like, oh, cool, the Emperor. This is, wow, what's that guy about? I think that Star Wars now, I think that there's been a lot of cross-contamination with Marvel into Star Wars. That, <laughs> that people... The people who did all of the Thanos scenes were at the end of a various Marvel movie. Thanos contemplates getting off his ass and doing something and then eventually does that. I think that that model of like, this is the bad guy and we have to constantly show that he's there and scheming and in charge and pulling strings and he's the guy you go to see. Everything's building up to this confrontation was kind of the, the vibe I got from Snoke. Supreme Leader Snoke, we better check in with him and see what he has to say. It, the, it's sad they can't even make a competent remake where General Hux is Grand Moff Tarkin and says, like, I have pretty clear instructions from Supreme Leader Snoke. I'm here to do this, this, and this. Right. We, don't, we don't need to call him. We get uh, your mama jokes. Right. Instead, we get, it's 2019, your mama jokes. Well, Poe Dameron's saying, like, oh, hold, please. It's like a Bugs Bunny joke. Of, like, yeah. when he, he puts on, like, the lipstick and pretends to be a woman and walks out. And the guy and Elmer Fudd doesn't notice. It's like John Oliver did the writing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's uh, I think that's all I have to say about this because this has been a disorganized stream of consciousness uh, podcast. But uh, that's okay. Yep. Um, hopefully, Justin doesn't murder any other young people. Underage type prostitutes. Yeah, so that he can uh, join us at some point again now that he's free. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think he's got a lot of, uh, he's got to put some weight back on from the malaria he had in Thai prison. But um, is there a website where people can go to read about his, uh, his ordeal in Thailand? Is there like a Thai public resource website for the police or something? No, Justin, uh, he's, he's trying to keep it quiet because it turns out that when you are uh, a person of Justin's stature, because that's not his real name, uh, his great stature, and you murder an underage Thai child prostitute brutally, like the police had to reassemble her body over the course of a few hours. <laughs> yeah, in different places. <laughs> different places. Like, her head made it all the way across the street through a window into another apartment. Like, it was a mess. So when you do that, I think you want to keep it on the DL. 
uh, yeah. Well, all I've got to say is, Justin, you got to keep that behavior overseas, okay? Justin, third, yeah. Third world that's right. countries. That's it. You, you keep that behavior overseas, or you go do it at Disney headquarters. That's right. <laughs> all right, everybody. We'll uh, talk to you about how our opinions are correct about sci-fi uh, more regularly. Probably talk to you next week.